0: Okay, we're recording. Welcome to Worldwide Bible Class. I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmuller and we are talking about the life of Jacob together with Martin Luther in Genesis chapter 32, which is a beautiful golden chapter. This is the in some ways this is what we've been waiting for. Genesis chapter 32 where um where Jacob is going to wrestle with the angels. But the um The interesting thing is that before we get to the wrestling with the angels, we just get to the vision of the angels, and I'll admit to you all that I did not remember this text, that Jacob, and here, well, here it is, Jacob, so Genesis 32, he went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's army. So he called the name of that place Mahanaim, this is a amazing little almost easy to miss passage uh th- because because look what happens next and we know that this is big drama Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau his brother in the land of Seir and that's what we remember right we remember that that as uh as Jacob is coming back into the land there's big there's a huge threat for for him and Esau, what is Esau going to do? Is Esau going to destroy him? Is Esau going to welcome him? What what's going to happen now? It's been he's been twenty years plus gone. What's what's things going to be like? So it's easy to sort of skip over this passage, but Luther does not, and and so we're gonna we're gonna lean into this uh, and see what Luther has to say about the angels and about the governance of God and about spiritual warfare. It's pretty amazing. So let's go. After Laban had left the Holy Patriarch Jacob, freed from the heavy and long misery of servitude under his father-in-law, rejoiced that peace and consolation had finally been restored to him after the completion of his tribulation. So there's some, ah, there's some peace that's there. Uh, He proceeded on the journey. He had begun that he might return to his dear father Isaac who already for a long time had been weakened by old age. But Moses says that as he went, the angels of God met him, and on seeing them, he recognized them with great joy as God's army and God's hosts. This is what uh, the word host means. The word Sabaoth is... um, means army, angel armies, or angel hosts, or groups of soldiers. And so he calls the name of that place Mahanaim, for he said, this host is God's host. In Latin, we can't render the Hebrew word in the singular number, um, for it's a plural noun, or rather a dual, a number which also employed in Greek. It means two camps. So there's a different way in uh, there's a different way in Hebrew of indicating plural double and plural more than double. Uh, do we have that in English? I don't think we do. These are words of joy and triumph for the patriarch with great confidence and feeling of security because of the peace given to him by God. Just as though he meant to say, Now the angels are appearing, heaven is laughing, the stormy winter is past, and now the clear and serene light of day. Is shining forth, so this is this uh, this great moment of he. It's kind of like when when Elisha is there and um, and he asks the Lord to show his servant all the angels that are surrounding him, and he says, "Oh, look, it's great. It's you know, I don't have anything to worry about." So that the Lord gives Jacob not just the vision of an angel, or even of the angels, um. Kind of ascending and descending on the ladder, which was a pretty profound vision. That that vision of Christ and the angels ascending and descending. But but here he sees all the angel armies all around. It's an amazing thing. And he says, and so it's kind of peace now, peace. To this quiet joy of having now brought to an end all his troubles and difficulties, there also comes this addition. That he has angels as God's army meeting him. This, you, you know, this has to be such a great day for Jacob. I mean, it's the, um. It's the day of all of the trouble. Kind of coming to an end. Now, he's got trouble on the horizon. But this little break. Just great. Moses has also Also testified before this that the patriarchs frequently enjoyed the appearances of angels as he related above concerning Abraham, Hagar, Jacob's ladder, with its angels ascending and descending. Also, when Jacob was told to return to his fatherland, Ah, uh, yes, they often saw angels, in, and indeed the excellent and holy fathers had a special need of the sight of them. But here he sees not one angel, but a host of angel, angels. Luke also says, Luke 2, suddenly there was with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly host. The angels are called hosts or soldiers, staritoytai, swatchmen, guides, and governors over all God's creation. For this is their lower office. Their higher office is to sing glory to God in the highest. Now, this is very interesting that that Luther is kind of digging into his... um. Uh, He's digging into a scholastic uh, training here, which had so much to do with the angels. But he says, look, they have two offices. They have a lower office and they have a higher office. And the lower office is to watch over creation. The higher office is to sing glory to God in the highest, which is just kind of nice for us to think about. You know, here are the angels down here. Is their lower office, higher office? And one of the things that Jesus tells us in Matthew 18 is that they do both at the same time. They always are before the face of the Father in heaven. And yet they also are um, able to serve us. Look at and the names that Luther has for them, and we're, he's going to dig into this a little more. Hosts, soldiers. So this is together the military, watchmen, guides, governors, and that word "govern" is going to be a key word throughout this text. So let's keep going. So uh, their lower duty is to watch and oops. Their lower duty is to watch and govern us and the creatures to fight not only on behalf of the godly, but also on behalf of the ungodly, as is clear from Daniel, where the angel says that he's returning to fight against the prince of the Persians. A good angel does not resist a good angel, so the prince of the Persians was an evil angel of the number of those concerning whom Christ says, now shall this shall the ruler of this world be cast out. That phrase is a somewhat haunting for the devil, but... Uh, Satan, the god of this world, has a very large host of devils, and there's a kind of monarchy among the evil angels. So there's fighting that happens between the angels. This was made popular a couple of years ago by the, you guys remember that book, um, This Present Darkness, and that whole series by Frank Peretti, and it kind of got into, it was like a novel version of spiritual warfare. It went too far just because the Lord does not give us all the information that we had in that text, and there's a danger that we go too far saying too much about the angels, looking into this too much. But we want, but we don't want to miss what the Bible does say. The matter speaks for itself, and Scripture demonstrates it quite clearly, since indeed we see the world horribly embroiled, disturbed, confounded, and struck by horrible outrages. This comes about. Because the evil angels rule everywhere in the courts of the Pope, the emperor, the kings and the princes, yes, even in private homes. These are called these are and are called the works of the devil, which we see in experience. But the world does not see that murders and other infinite crimes are committed under the authority and at the instigation of the devil. So there are two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of God and the kingdom of, of the devil, the kingdom of darkness and those are at odds with one another. All see the effect, but they do not see the cause. Why? Because the cause, the devil and the demons, are invisible. It's certain, therefore, that the leaders among the good angels fight against the leaders of the evil angels, for experience testifies to this. Now, notice that there's something here that we it might be easy to miss. That is this language of leader, that there's a, there's a kind of ranking of the angels and that they, they, they match up in their battles. So, um, it's Michael who comes to fight the Prince of Persia. There's, so there's ranks of angels and they're fighting according to their rank. I suppose it'd be the same, like, like, a, you know, we have weight class for boxing and you don't have a heavyweight fighting against a welterweight or whatever. So, uh, uh, so it is with the angels. The leaders fight against the the uh, the leaders. The heathen. Now, here's an interesting thing. Luther's going to say that that this knowledge of of spiritual warfare was was somehow known even amongst the heathen. The heathen also retained a vague shadow of this knowledge. Wait, whoops, Where did I go? Oh yeah. What what's going on? when they invented their household gods or good and evil genie, which has to do with the Islamic doctrine of angels and also just kind of the pagan idea, also witchcraft and all this. It's an amazing thing that, that there's so much theology of angels, even still, uh, that that it's kind of hung around. Now, where did this natural, this vague shadow of the knowledge of the angelic realm, where did it come from? Uh, Maybe it comes from, it traces all the way back to to Noah and Shem uh, and Adam and Eve so that there was this kind of old historical Mm -hmm. knowledge of the evil angels that was passed on. Maybe it's because there's, obviously things that are unexplainable by other means as the angels interact and the demons interact with this world and so forth. God is the creator and ruler of all men, and through the angels he controls the empires, even of the ungodly, such as the Babylonians, Assyrians, and Persians, as Daniel testifies. So this is Luther working on that that phrase from Daniel, the prince of Persia, so that there was a there was, well that was a bad that was a demon who was overseeing a kingdom the same is clear so that that the that, that nations of the world and the places of the world have their own have their own angel hosts guarding and keeping them you wonder about you know the angel of Texas versus the angel of New York the angel of the United States versus the angel of Bra- Brazil or whatever The same is clear in our courts and their rulers. As a result of this, it comes to pass that the very best of causes are often hindered, disturbed, or protracted at the courts in various ways, and yet at length favorable outcomes are obtained under the leadership and counsels of the good angels. These are the wonderful counsels of God concerning which there can be no dispute why he governs the world in this or that matter. Now, I I have been thinking about, let me... I've been thinking about this, excuse me, a lot for the last couple of years. Because one of the dangers that we have as Lutherans is because we talk about how God rules the world, he works in the world through the word, the word, the word, the word. What, What sometimes happens is that we forget that God governs all things all the time by his might. The Reformed talk about this all the time under the language of sovereignty. And so one of the things that I've been doing is saying, how does Luther talk about that same idea uh, in his own language? And the I think it's, prov- sometimes he'll use the language of providence, but also counsel and govern, God's government, how God governs the world. And I think that's a, our kind of Lutheran vocabulary to talk about these things so god does govern the world he does govern our life uh that's the uh, he does govern the affairs of of men and humanity and history and all of this and that the lord governs the nations through the through the angels oliver says not only that but in the Bible, the stars are considered these angels that rule over the earthly affairs. Yeah, it's, a, it's the stars in the heavens and the angels are equated with one another. Uh, it led That can lead some people into some strange conclusions. Like Philip Melanchthon, by the way, became very interested in astrology. It's dangerous. Uh, Joey says, it's interesting to think that Satan is thrown into the bottomless pit by another angel, not by God. God is infinitely more powerful than anyone else. That's right, that's Revelation 20, where where Michael is the one who binds and throws the devil into the pit Chris indicating Luther regularly pokes fun at him in the table talks about melanchthon and his his craziness about the stars okay it's a matter of great and wonderful wisdom that Jacob can recognize the angels who meet him and that he can call them God's hosts our Lord God's troops this and and this and just to kind of not miss it when we say, When we're singing the liturgy and we say, holy, 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 Lord God of Sabaoth, heaven and earth are full of your glory, that Sabaoth is not Sabbath. I, I just, I don't know how many years that's what I thought, Lord God of Saturday. No, Lord God of Sabaoth is Lord God of hosts, Lord God of troops. That's the word there. And and here it's incredible wisdom that really it's divine open eyes that God gives to Jacob that he can see these angels, that he has this vision. Surely God does not have armies and hosts on earth. Yes. This is what Jacob calls all the angels. And he, Jacob, did not have this knowledge from his father-in-law, Laban, who was an impious idolater and not a teacher of such sublime and heavenly matters. But as st- stated above, such knowledge was handed down in direct tradition from the fathers. Now, this is part of the, the our Lutheran apologetic, is that we we do not reject oral tradition. And sometimes that's all there was. Chemnitz, for example, believes that the first written writing in the universe was the Ten Commandments, written by God. Others say that, no, it was before that that Adam and Eve were writing and that the scriptures were written down by the prophets all the way along, but there was a tradition of handing these things down, and 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 Luther had held on to this and that it's the old Jewish tradition, old Christian tradition, et cetera, et cetera. You know that to get from well he's gonna say it here, that to get from Adam all the way to Abraham, you only have to go three generations. If you can you can go from Adam to Enoch to Seth to Shem. Uh and Shem Outlives outlives Abraham, which is crazy to think of. It's one of the reasons why the old Jewish tradition was that Melchizedek was Shem. And Luther will go for that too. But but the, the chief, the one who holds it all together in the middle is Noah. That Noah gathered all of the wisdom of the fathers from before the flood, Adam and Eve, and and Seth and Enoch and all of that wisdom, and he gathered it all up. Not Enoch, e, it can't be Enoch, it has to go Adam. Well, I think Luther said, From for Abraham saw Noah for more than 50 years. Shem also lived beyond the age of Abraham, and Isaac and Jacob saw and heard him. He was a great teacher, he, him, this is Shem. He was a great teacher, a prophet, and priest of the Most High who took this doctrine from Enoch, the grandson of Adam. Okay, so you go, Adam, Enoch, Shem, Abraham, Jacob, all the way to Jacob. So that Jacob, this guy who we're dealing with here, Jacob would have sat and talked with Shem. He could have heard about how it was before the flood. Can you imagine that? And when Abraham says, oh yeah, my great-great-grandfather Noah, so all these things were handed down by, uh, from uh, uh, from father to son. But here's the point. You remember that old game telephone that the we used to play in liberal Sunday school to prove how the Bible can't be true? Carrie, uh, my wife, tells a story about how at, she was going to, I don't know, middle school or something, and they did the, you know, you, one person whispers and someone else's and, and it goes all the way down until you get to something totally goofy and different at the other end. It's an amazing thing. That they say, well, that's how it was in the scripture. Well, it doesn't, if the person on the end goes and talks to the person on the other end, you don't get it. And that, you don't get that confusion. And that's how it was because these guys live for so long. They can just pass it down one, boop, boop, boop. It's not generation after generation. It's like three. Amazing, amazing. These men were teachers and hearers who preserved this doctrine and handed it on to their posterity. At the same time, however, there were the additional factors of experience and tribulation. He who has such... Okay, so let's so just make sure we're getting what Luther's saying here. He's saying Jacob had all these teachers. Laban didn't help him understand the angels, but he did have Abraham, and he did have his father Isaac, and he did have Shem. And for a while, Noah, who could have taught him these things, I don't know if Jacob overlapped with Noah. but his, Okay, so he was taught these things, but he had another teacher, and that's experience, especially in the form of tribulation. So this is our advanced class, the class of trouble. He who has such leaders and masters will easily make much progress. Remember how Luther says that there's three things that make a theologian Oratio, meditatio, and tentatio. Do I I think I've talked about that enough. I don't need to write them down. This is prayer, meditation, and tribulation. So that is the um that is the uh that is what the the the, the, the classroom the advanced classroom that the Lord puts us in. I just see a note from Steve who says that Sabbath is a military word term, a, a Hebrew word. It refers it often has military connotations, a group of fighting men or an army. Sometimes the host of heaven. Sabbath also used to describe the innumerable stars in the sky. Hosts, hosts. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Jacob. Uh, na, 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 na. Jacob not only learned from his forefathers, but he also had experience as a teacher. He saw the angels ascending and descending, and likewise in Mesopotamia with his father in law. He saw and heard the angels in his sleep. Remember, they came and visited him and told him to leave. In this place, he sees a host of armies of angels. Thus, fact and words combine. So, do you see words from Shem and Abraham, facts from his own life, and these two come together? knowledge, and fact, and experience. Otherwise, this doctrine and wisdom is too sublime for it to be comprehensible by human reason, which does not know that angels exercise care over empires, kingdoms, the household, men, and beasts, uh, and in short, all creatures. So he was taught this by the fathers, and he was taught it by his own experience. The epistle to Hebrews describes them in the words are they not all ministering spirits sent to serve and for the sake of those who are obtained, who are to obtain salvation. Now, Hebrews chapter one is probably the place where we learn most about the angels. It gathers all the discussion of the angels from the old Testament. Uh, and this is this quote right here, I believe is reflecting on Psalm 103, which is the old Testament Psalm of the angels. Uh, Now, it's interesting that Hebrews 1 is talking about the angels because it wants to say that Jesus is better than the angels, which is really beautiful. Uh, They are not gods or goddesses, but ministers who serve the world and who do so on account of those who will inherit eternal salvation. That's what the good angels are, the spirits. In fact, that's what the evil angels are supposed to be, but they're not. And that's why the evil angels love to be called God the idols are demons remember from deuteronomy 32 from from 1 corinthians where paul says don't the food that you sacrifice to idols you sacrifice to demons so that the demons have set up little little chapels everywhere where they can be worshipped as god even though they're not they're they're meant to serve not be served and yet they go around everywhere get wanting to steal worship from god Whatever is done in, this li- uh, done in this life is all done on account of the godly men and those who are to be saved. I'm not sure why that verse is not highlighted, because what Luther is saying here is the whole purpose of everything that happens in the world is the salvation, is for the salvation of those who the Lord is saving. For their sakes, the sun shines. Kingdoms are preserved and established. The earth is made fruitful. Marriages are contracted. In other words, the sun came up today because God wants to save some people. And there's nations in the world because God wants to save some people. And the corn grows in the field because God is saving people. In short, all things in heaven and earth are ordained to this end, that the righteous should be gathered together and the number of those who are saved should be filled up. It's the whole purpose of everything that happens in the world. According And that's why God, and it's governed in that way by God. Accordingly, this is a true heavenly doctrine and not a matter of human reason and wisdom that in this life, empires, states, and households, and in short, whatever this world has, are all governed by the ministry of the holy angels. So, So everything that happens in history is arranged by God through the angels for the good and especially the saving good of his people. When you watch the news tonight, what you can, this is because it does not look like this, right? It looks like the exact opposite. It looks like everything that's happening from the devil for the destruction of the church. But the Lord is arranging all of these things for the opposite reason. Now a question arises, if these things are true and certain as they assuredly are, then the opinion of Erasmus and all the Epicureans is completely false. Erasmus and his doctrine of free will said that everything happens just according to people's choices and stuff like that. For they, moved by the infinite inequality and confusion of matters in this life, where they say wicked men, more fortunate than good and godly men, descend to such a level that they deny this protection and ministry of the angels and indeed the very providence of God. So here's the temptation. When we see things so poorly, it's going so bad, then we say, well, God must not be in charge. And the angels must not be in control. But both common experience as well as the complaints of the saints testify that the greater scoundrel anyone is, so much more fortunate he is. This is the what is the psalm? When I I, I almost I had almost fainted when I looked. This is as important. Pastor Packer's always quoting this psalm. I looked upon the status of the wicked and I saw how well they did in this life and I almost gave up hope until I went into the house of God and I saw their end. Cicero, but but this is, we look around and we see it. It's true that it seems like the worse a person is, the better things go for them. Pastor Jaronander to the rescue, Psalm 73. Thank you. Want to see that? We should see it. Psalm 73, boom. Um, Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Now this, it's an important point. It's an important thing for me to remember too. That, uh, in fact, I was on, well, I don't know if this is important. I was, that 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 jealousy jealousy is a is a uh corrosive to faith um i'll I'll tell you the story i was thinking about i you know sometimes i'm i get tagged by these nazis on twitter and so it, it it there's these kind of Lutheran Nazi groups. It's it's just strange and very troubling. And but uh, so I end up in these conversations with with mostly young men who are kind of driven by a kind of um, jealousy. It's very hard for them to see that is so corrosive to faith because they f- they feel how hard this life is. They feel their own like hey i should be doing better i should have more than i have i i but i'm being i'm being put down because i'm i'm a white man and i and the deck is stacked against me and and they feel that and the result is a kind of is a bitterness that is very it's like a, it's like an acid bath to, on the heart and i think that's what's happening here i was envious of the arrogant when i saw the prosperity of the wicked they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as off uh, as others are. They're not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. <laughs> you know they're they're not hungry. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice, lofty loftily they threaten oppression they set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue struts through the earth therefore his people turn back to them and find no fault in them and they say how can god know there's no is there knowledge in the most high behold these are the wicked always at ease they increase in riches all in vain have i kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence and that's the point like look at these folks are doing whatever they want and getting whatever they want and there's no repercussion and god is And here I am trying to be righteous and getting nothing. All day long, I've been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. So it's the end of things that makes it all understandable. Truly, you set them in slippery places, etc., etc. Ah, it's really something. Pastor Jernander says, Devotion on Psalm 37 from Lachachish's Book of Family Prayer, Do not let your carnal thoughts, but the sense of the Spirit strengthen your feelings, so your heart shall not be overflowing with long envy for the prosperity of the foolish, but be strengthened with tender mercy toward them for the misery in the midst of their apparent glory that's nice you have to we have to be able to see the world with spiritual eyes and not and not just with carnal eyes with what how things present themselves to us and that's the that's the that's the thing that we have to go to church and we have to know things according to god's word and not according to our own to our own vision of them i got a note came just to me it said flip chapters uh, to from 73 to 37 and we have instruction on how to approach evil that we observe and experience Well, that's cool i got to check that out later now here's here's maybe the point is that we we're, we're tempted to be like cicero or like uh, epicurus or like erasmus and say oh everything just goes according to the the plans of the wicked or it just goes wickedly and god's not in charge of things If godly men are oppressed, the church is afflicted and severely disciplined, the ungodly come forth, flourish, and abound in wealth and power, what then is the service of the angels? What do they even do? How do I know if they are being helpful or not? Who cannot see that all things are borne along and confused by chance and at random, and that this government is rather Satan's? This is the this is the uh, epicurean thing everything is random it's just happenstance it's just chance that is evolutionism also everything is by chance you 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 you, you know when you see this kind of mockery idea of the world is that um is that when something bad happens you know there's a shooting or something like this and and the thing that gets mocked is the thoughts and prayers Thoughts and prayers. They say, thoughts and prayers don't matter. Uh, If God was around, he would have stopped that thing. And since he didn't, he's obviously not around. So we need something else. We cannot see all things are born. So here, what is the service of the angel? But here's Luther's answer. Who cannot see that all things are born along and confused by chance and random and that this is government is rather Satan's. Christ calls him the prince of the world, Paul calls him the God of this age. How then does this administration of angels stand? My reply is this, as I previously stated, is the wonderful and incomprehensible wisdom of God, which human reason does not grasp. However, if we should want to open our eyes, we would be able to perceive this and form this conclusion that the devil is bound and held captive as though as through uh, as though fetters and manacles have been put on him to such an extent that he cannot touch even a hair of our head except by God's will and permission. This is, so, so, even though we have the text that G, that the devil is the prince of the world, as Jesus calls him, John 20, 12, Paul calls him the God of this age. Peter tells us he he is, running around like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. We also have Revelation 20 that says that he's bound and cast him to the bottomless pit so that he can no longer deceive the nations. And we have to realize that these these are overlaid on top of each other, not as a contradiction, but rather as a, uh, it gives us a full picture so that he is, his authority is limited by God. If something adverse occurs, it must not be attributed to neglect on the part of the angels in their ministry, but it must rather be referred to the temptation by which the godly as individuals and the whole church are accustomed to be disciplined in this life. For the power of the devil is not as great as it appears to be outwardly. Can I underline this for you? This we have to know very well. The power of the devil is not as great as it appears to be. If he had full power to rage as he pleased, you would not live for one hour or retain safe and intact a single sheep, a crop in the field, corn in the barn, in short, any of those things which pertain to this life. You, you, there, there would be nothing. It would be scorched earth. If the devil was in charge, if he was as powerful as he wants us to think he is, there would be nothing good left. But now ponder in your heart the whole course of nature and of this whole life and survey every kind of men, cattle, birds, and fish, and you will find more good than bad things. This coming from Luther, who knows how to see bad things, you will see that a very small part is subjected to the power of the devil. For he's compelled to leave the fish in the rivers, the birds in the air, men and animals in the village and cities, which he would not do if it were not for the protection of the angels. At times, however, he causes great disturbances, bring kingdoms and monarchies into conflict with each other, throws provinces, states, and households into confusion, to be sure. He causes disturbance, and yet he's not able to carry out what he most desires, to overthrow all things and to mingle heaven with earth. So strong are the walls, fortifications, and hedges of the angels round about us and all things. Chris is asking, I might look more uh, uh, sometime into whether Erasmus thinks that, er, wait, whether Erasmus thinks that Erasmus, oh, whether, I think it should be, whether Luther thinks that Erasmus denies providence or whether Luther thinks that it's a logical consequence of Erasmus's teaching. It seems strange that someone who writes about Plato as much as Erasmus would think free will means God isn't governing reality or that wickedness is advantageous in any sense. Yes, you Chris, if you look into it, that'd be great. I think I'm interested in this too, because this is it's like sovereignty versus God's governance is right here on my notes that I'm taking, and I'm kind of digging into this too. So this will be a, a good question for both of us. Um da-da-da-da with uh, the ex- Oh 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 oh. So here Luther says, Look, all the, the you know, good things are so much greater than evil things. The exception is those things which pertain to temptation and punishment, chastisement of sinners, etc. Um if ever sin prevail and kingdom states princes are handed over for punishment and destruction, as God destroyed Sodom and the neighboring cities, in that case the walls and armies of the angels cease their activities. The Lord says, Fine. And it's for It's for the chastisement of the Lord's people and for the punishment of those who are not his people. But in the state and all orders of life, the devil stirs up various tumults. He impels men to adulteries, Sixth Commandment, theft, Seventh Commandment, murder, Fifth Commandment, perjuries, Eighth Commandment. But for all that he does not seduce or subvert all people, but for all that he does not seduce or subvert all people, For he's put under restraint, so he's not even able to kill whom he wishes from among the evil. So you would, this is Luther saying, you'd think that, look, the Lord would say to the devil, well, you can have the evil people and I'll keep the, no, not even that. The Lord is protecting all people. For if all things were in his power, he would even destroy the ungodly, although they have been already previously enmeshed in his fetters. Therefore, God tolerates even the wicked and sinners to declare his great goodness and tolerance but only up to the time which has been set for their punishment. When their iniquities have been filled up, he withdraws his hand. So that the Lord's the Lord's protection is over is over all people. And he's guarding and protecting the godly and the ungodly all together. Okay. Let me see how we're... Yeah, a couple more paragraphs here. This is, I mean, this is just really good to let Luther be teaching us. Can you imagine? I, this is can you sitting in the Wittenberg classroom and Luther's lecturing about these things in this manner a reply can be given to the question if the angels are the armies of God and spirits who serve why do so many evil things happen which are displeasing to God so here's the question if the angels are why why do bad things happen to good people here's a here it is the question uh oh here's a the question comes from I don't I'm not saying that right did satan lose his power on the cross when Jesus hit him on the head the devil the answer is yes yes uh but as soon as the lord decides to die on the cross that that power is lost so that as soon as the lord says the seed will crush your head the seed has crushed his head already the way that the lord interacts with Things, But it is the power of the cross that overthrows the devil, even before the cross happens. Uh, Okay. Things go well with the ungodly. They're given life, honors, offices. They abound in wealth. All these things certainly given to the very worst men by the good angels. But I reply that there should be no discussion about the counsels of God as to why he bestows good things also on evil men and scatters his gifts among the good and evil alike on the ungrateful and grateful as Christ says in Matthew 5 for this comes to pass that he may show that he has not only a human goodness circumscribed by his own limits but rather immense infinite and incomprehensible goodness <laughs> why do good, why do good things happen to bad people because god is that good don't ask questions <laughs> Therefore, let us leave God's administration of matters to him and praise his great mercy, since indeed it is manifest that more good happens than evil, also in the case of evil and blasphemous men who also have their own bodily blessings. For if God were not to govern the world through his angels, even for one day, the devil would certainly strike down the whole human race all of a sudden, plunder it, drive it off, destroying it with famine, plagues, wars, and fires. These things would have been in would have to be endured not only by the evil but also by the good, but that we can be secure and safe from such great perils under the protection of the armies and hosts of heaven. This we should determine for certain. At the times, the angels even permit some evils to happen, but they do this so that we may be tried and that our faith may be proved and exercised, and that in this way we may learn to recognize God in his wonderful counsels and works and give thanks to him for his wonderful government, as this example the patriarch Jacob teaches. Got it? Oh, that's great. For he goes on his way joyfully and confidently because the sun has dawned on him and the heavenly host have met him. But Sometime later, the sun will set again. Now, he is, in other words, trouble's on the way also. I mean, it's always on the way. Trouble's on the way. But now he reigns in triumphs, full of faith and spiritual joy. But he will soon be thrown into the greatest misery and confusion. Look, I, I didn't highlight this, but we should highlight this. Faith and spiritual joy. This is what we, we want to, there's, there's an earthly joy, but there's a spiritual joy. And that's what Jacob has now. He sees the angels, and he has this spiritual joy. This is when, when we hear the absolution, when we come to the Lord's Supper. It's a spiritual joy. Things could be all disastrous all around us. And yet the Lord comes and he says, I, I'm yours, you're mine, your sins are forgiven, heaven's open. You're going to reign in the resurrection. It's spiritual joy. Okay, um, I wonder. Let's just let's get this last paragraph, and I think this is probably where we need to start next week. Uh, In the same manner, God leads and governs both the godly and the ungodly. When all things already seem to be at the point of crashing into ruin, all hope and confidence is still not to be completely cast off. Wait, endure, hold out. God is still living. The angels are ruling and defending. If someone wants to turn that into a hymn or a poem, that would be great. God is still living. The angels are ruling and defending. And the Lord lets things get to the point of crashing. It looks like everything's about to go into ruin, and then the Lord says, boop, now saved. All right. Well, let's stop there, I think. Yeah, that's a good spot. Let's stop there. I'll say a prayer, stop the recording, and then uh, see what you guys are up to. We can, If you have questions about the test, text, or you can ask anything. If you, by the way, are listening to this recording on a podcast, thanks for listening. Uh, WolfMilio.co slash Bible for all the information, and uh, join us live sometime. This the, What comes next is the most fun part, where you guys get me with all sorts of questions I never thought of, so let's pray. Oh, well, Lord, we ask for the wisdom and the comfort of your word and spirit and that this example of the vision of the angel hosts that you gave to Jacob would also uh, be our encouragement and our peace through Christ our Lord. Amen. i got to figure out how to stop the recording. Oh, here's how to do it.